Welcome to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're delighted that you could be with us again today as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians. It is an incredible book and we are learning some incredible things. This week is lesson number six and that is the mystery of the gospel. We're glad that you could join us today. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we want to thank you for being with us today as we are looking at the book of Ephesians and gaining a deeper understanding of your love for us and your plan for our lives. We ask now that you will bless our time together and guide us through this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, not only are we glad that you're here, we're also glad that our special guest here is here as well, and that is the author of the Sabbath School lesson, Dr. John McVeigh. He is the president of Walla Walla University. John, welcome back once again. Eric, there's no place I'd rather be than right here studying Ephesians with you. This is an exciting book, and no doubt people have read it before. They've gone through it. They've picked out, they've heard a few verses commonly quoted from it. But we're looking at some grand themes here. We are. We're looking at some very deep things, some very practical things. And today we're looking at the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, especially as we find it in Ephesians chapter 3. So give us a little overview of Ephesians chapter 3. There's 21 verses in uh, in this chapter. How is chapter 3 structured and what can we expect to get out of this? Well, if we go back to our first lesson, you, you'll remember that uh, Ephesians, like many Pauline epistles, is divided in two. And so where it divides is at the end of chapter 3. So we're moving toward that dividing point. Paul is still focusing on the grand Christian story, salvation history, how God has been active in salvation history for believers. He's still on the doctrine side teaching us about Christian faith, and God's action in Christ to redeem humankind. At the end of this, then, chapter 4, we're going to turn toward that instruction in the nitty-gritty of Christian life and discipleship. But he's still soaring here, Eric. He's still soaring. And uh, one thing about Ephesians we haven't really discussed is that the language is, uh, some people call it uh, uh, flying high, full-blown, fulsome. It's, it's rich language, but it can have a certain impact on us. We can read a passage. We can know that it's wonderful language, but we can struggle a little bit to say, now, now what did that really say? So I think it is valuable to slow down, listen to this rich language, and try to get a handle on all these great things that God has done for us in Christ. So we're doing that here in chapter 3. Walk us through chapter sure. 3. What are the different sections of chapter 3? And And what is Paul hoping that we're going to be able to understand as he writes this? The chapter itself, like the letter as a whole, divides into two. So chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, is a biographical, autobiographical reflection. Paul now, you'll remember, is in prison. He's at an advanced stage in his career. He senses that the end is near. Uh, And and so he's, he's ruminating, he's thinking about the privileges that he's had to serve Christ. He's looking back and thanking God for the ways that he has blessed him in his ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. So that's the first half, if you will, verses 1 through 13. And and then when we get to the, the, the second half, we have the prayer report, verses 14 through 19. He's discussing the reasons for his prayers on behalf 
of the believers in Ephesus and what he prays about, and then he concludes with a brief doxology. So first half, second half, second half, verses 14 through 21. But there's something really interesting about the structure here, and that's the fact that he begins to give his prayer report, and then he interrupts himself and moves into this autobiographical reflection about his career as apostle of the Gentiles, and then he moves back to his prayer report. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at verse 1. He starts in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he breaks off, right, and moves into this. And then we know that he picks it back up because in verse 14 he again uses the language for this reason, right? So he starts giving his prayer report, here's why I pray about you, here's how I pray about you, for you, here's the things I pray about, here's my prayer list on your behalf. He starts that, breaks off into this autobiographical reflection about his life and ministry, and then he picks back up with that prayer report in verse 14. So do you ever get interrupted and and, and go off on little tangents and return to the original line sure, of that's, thinking? Sure, that's very, very common. And if you're writing and that happens, you might just hit delete, 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 and you yeah. get rid of that verse one, as it were, and, and pick it up. But he doesn't. It's, it's left there for us to kind of marvel at. Sure. The, the chapter really hangs together beautifully, and I'm, I'm inclined to think he almost did this in, intentionally. Uh, but nonetheless, he does break off and come back to this prayer report in the last half of the, of the chapter. A, a beautiful uh, insight into Paul and his character. I love that. So, so what is the, we're looking at the book of Ephesians. What is the purpose of Ephesians? Why is it here? Why does it mean so much? What, what was Paul pouring into it that we can take out? Well, back in lesson one, we did look at chapter 3, verse 13 as, as a clue to the purpose of Ephesians. So Paul is, is giving this reflection on his life as an apostle to the, to the Gentiles, and he comes to the end of that, and he says, he, he's, he's basically saying about his life. This is the basic gist of the first half. There are, there's some stuff in my life that looks pretty awful. There are things that have happened to me uh, that are that are that are bad, uh, afflictions and, and challenges and this and that. But he's, he's saying to them, all of that is part of God's plan. All of that mean-spirited stuff that I've experienced is part of God's work in my life. And as I look back on it now at this advanced stage in my career, uh, God's had a hand in all of this. And, and so, verse 13, you shouldn't despair about me. And apparently that's exactly what they're doing. They're, they're in some despair that their great champion, their leader, their pastor is in prison. And if he's in prison, that means that, means that Christianity's shot. It's over. It's, it's finished. It, it's done. In verse 13, he says, So I ask you, uh, he specifically and forthrightly asks something of them. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Because it's actually for your glory. It's in God's plan, part of God's plan. So the easiest way to describe the purpose of Ephesians is to move to that verse and say that Paul is concerned that Ephesians, that that believers in Ephesians in the, in the house churches that have grown up in the last six or seven years, that a lot of people he doesn't know here, he's concerned that with him in prison, 
with things taking a downturn in the greater metro Ephesus area, Christianity not being as popular as it once was, that they're going to lose heart and they're going to lose faith and they're going to move back into their pagan ways of worshiping many gods. He's concerned about that. And so he's talking about what God has done in Christ in establishing the church, this great enterprise. And he's trying to help them see the grand significance of being part of that great enterprise. So we find that the purpose of Ephesians here in this interruption, as it were, and we also find this very interesting phrase uh, in, in verse number four. It says, by which when you read, may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So this yes. interruption here has some meat in it. What is this? We see the purpose here. Yes. What is this mystery of Christ that Paul is talking about that he doesn't just address here, but it's, he talks about it and wants us to understand something? What is that? Well, it's a term that he uses a few times in, in Ephesians. He uses it here in verses 3, uh, verses 4, and verses and verse 9, verses 3, 4, and 9. And he uses it elsewhere, a string of places in, in Ephesians as well. So it's an important term for us to understand, part of the fabric of the epistle to the Ephesians. Fortunately, uh, chapter 3, verse 6 gives us probably, probably the clearest sense of what, what he means by it. A synonym would simply be the gospel, right? The mystery is the gospel. And he says here, this mystery is, and so here comes the definition, right? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So a way to summarize that would be the, the full inclusion of the Gentiles within the church and with God's, in, within God's plans for the future of humankind, right? Full inclusion of the Gentiles. Now, of course, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's actions in Christ to bring that about. Why the term mystery then? Because this is something he's wanting to shout from the mountaintop. So what, what's the bit about mystery? Well, part of it is historical. Uh, Paul sees this, this mystery as being unfolded in his ministry and in the ministry of others in this era. So it has been a mystery, but now through their preaching it has become an open secret, right? The mystery has become an open secret. There may be another reason that he uses the term here, and, and uh, this is much less certain, but there were, there were something called mystery religions in the first century. So what, what would a mystery religion be? would be a religion focused on a mystery, right? So you could go through all these strange rituals as an initiate uh, into these mystery religions, and you would be told these secrets that you promised never to tell. And so there, was, there were these mystery cults, and they were very popular and very common at the time of Paul in the first century. And so it's possible that he's implying here, Eric, that if you want to know a real mystery... <laughs> If you really want to be inducted to, into something that matters, you want to become an initiate in the greatest of all mystery religions, the only one that's true, you need to know the mystery of the gospel. You need to know what God is doing in Christ to create the church. And so he's giving us now opening up what this mystery is, at least as much as we can grasp it today, uh, seeing the, the fullness of the gospel uh, as he's laying it out for us. And, and giving us insights into God's desire for everyone here on planet Earth. 
the Jews and the Gentiles together, bringing it all together. A beautiful, beautiful picture. John, before we go to break, I want to give you another opportunity to share with us a little bit more about what's going on in the companion book. We've been reading through the study guide day by day, but we've also got this companion book that is available. Tell us a little bit more about what's in here. Well, the companion book gives uh, gives me an opportunity to unpack some of the wonders of Ephesians. Now, we're working on this in half-hour segments, week by week, moving through, and, and it seems like a lot of time together. But in some respects, we are just scratching the surface. And if you'd like to go a little deeper, see some of the concepts that we've been talking about, unpacked, applied to our lives, uh, the companion book is a good place to find that. Fantastic. So if you'd like to pick up the companion book, it is very easy to do. Just go to itiswritten.shop. Again, itiswritten.shop. Look for the book Ephesians by Dr. John McVeigh. You will find it there. You can pick it up, and it will be an immense blessing to you as you continue to delve into this incredible book of the Bible. We look forward to seeing you back in just a moment. We're going to continue our study of lesson number six, the mystery of the gospel. We'll see you back in just a moment. Racism is a serious issue that challenges societies around the world. In the United States, racism has again come to the fore. Tensions have escalated. The Bible speaks directly to the question of racism. An unlikely New Testament story shows how God feels about racism and demonstrates that love and unity can be accomplished when the Holy Spirit is allowed to change hearts. Don't miss Jesus and racism and see that division is not inevitable and that unity is achievable through the power of the gospel. Jesus and racism, addressing an important subject affecting today's world and offering hope through the word of God. Don't miss Jesus and racism. Brought to you by It Is Written TV. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. It is written dot study. Go further. It is written dot study. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We are looking at Ephesians chapter 3 today and the mystery of the gospel. Uh, John, when we take a look at, at verses 14 through 19 here in chapter 3, we see some prayer requests that Paul makes on behalf of believers. What's the significance of these prayer requests and why are they, why are they important for us to see? Why were they important for Paul to put in the letter and for us to see today? Isn't this an incredible thing to have Paul's prayer list for believers to actually be able to read his prayer list? This is, this is wonderful. And it, it should teach us something about how to pray and, and, what we have a right to ask for before the throne of God. It's very touching. But So you, you could break this down, I think, uh, nicely, Eric, into three prayer requests. So 
they're all kind of complicated because they're part of this rich language of Ephesians where he tends to add prepositional phrase to prepositional phrase to, you know, lengthy description of something. So it's a little hard to divide it, but let's let's call verses 16 and 17 his first prayer re- uh, request. And and in that prayer request, he he asks God to grant believers in in Ephesus an abundant spiritual experience. And as you would expect, it's rooted in the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, right? So he wants inner strength through the Spirit's presence, strengthened in the inner man. Uh, strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So he wants something deep in our hearts and minds to happen. He wants the spirit to dwell there, to make his presence felt in our lives, down deep in our hearts, right? Down deep in the very, very inside, central part of our being that we would find God present through his spirit. That's That's a grand request, and he's joining with that in his first request, that he wants wants us to have what I would call intimacy with Christ. And this part of his prayer has become very special to me as I've just meditated on it and thought about it, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What a privilege as Christians. And Paul is praying that that will happen. Not a little visit now and again, not just a high spiritual moment once every six months, where you sense Christ within you, but that Christ would dwell, stay, remain, inhabit, camp, <laughs> set up his dwelling place in your heart and your mind. This is, this is, these are not trivial blessings that he's, that he's praying for. And then he wants them to have, still on the first prayer request, compound prayer request we could call it, a settled, secure spiritual identity that they might be rooted and grounded in love. Whose love do you suppose he has in mind? God's love. God's love. So, at the very heart of our being and our identity as Christian disciples, Paul wants to plant the Spirit, the presence of Jesus, and a settled sense that I am valued by God. Those who sit, those three, three beings that sit on the throne of the cosmos, the Godhead, treasure me, know me individually, and they love me. Wow, what a prayer request! And that's only the first that's of these the first three. One. So we've got he's got two others here. So not as if that weren't enough. Yes, and each, more. Each of these can give us just plenty to to think about as a, meditate on, pray over. Uh, let's 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 access Paul's prayer list. Let's make it our own. Let's hear him praying for us. Let's lay claim to these blessings that are so crucial to the, the Christian life. So his his second prayer request, verses eighteen, the first half of verse nineteen, invites fresh understanding for his audience, as, in this language, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So, again, he's he's interested in planting God's love and and Christ's love, the the sense that Christ loves us at the very inner part of of our being. And notice how many dimensions he uses here. We're used to three dimensions, right? But 
in his effort to express the wonder of all this, he adds another dimension. So there are, there are four, four dimensions that he mentions here of Christ's love. So we, we take away from, from, this, uh, from all of this just, just a wonderful sense of, of God's, God's love for us, his, his care for us. It, it's hard to really tune into this language in one sense because it's just so grand and glorious. It almost sounds at the end of verse number 18 like, like Paul trails off in wonderment. Yes. To know the, the width and the lead length and the depth and the height and his mind just goes. But he has one more prayer request that, that kind of puts it all in, in, in a little more crisp way, includes everything, the, the, the grab bag prayer request, we could call it. Prayer request number three, summing up the intent of his prayers, that you, <laughs> Eric, that you, human being that you are, might be filled with all the fullness of God, filled to the brim with God's grand blessings of grace, knowledge of God's love, a settled sense of who you are in the presence of God. can't imagine not wanting to experience that. I mean, every Christian believer desires to experience that, and that's Paul's prayer that we would experience that. What a prayer. What a grand prayer. An incredible prayer. There's something else here that we see in this chapter, and we get, to, we get this picture of Paul as a mentor. Help us to see what's going on here. Well, for me, um, uh, focusing uh, much of our attention here on, on verses 1 through 19, uh, particularly 1 through 13, but also including his, his prayer, <laughs> It's interesting to think of Paul as a mentor. Could you think of a better mentor? Greatest, arguably the greatest Christian missionary and apostle of all time. What if he tapped you on the shoulder, Eric, and said, Eric, thank you for all the efforts you're taking to spread the gospel. Could I be your mentor? I think I'd probably take him up on uh, that. I think we would. And in a sense, we have that, that privilege here. So I've tried to read this passage. I work with college students all the time. So... I'm trying to think of Paul as mentor of college students here, tapping them on the shoulder, saying, let me tell you, if you want to live a, a successful life, a life of true significance, here's how to go about it. And I think there are some real principles here as we move through the passage. Now, I unpack these in some detail in the, in the companion book, and I'm just going to mention them in, in very brief uh, scope here. But, for example, first, first bullet, first point, true success is all about getting caught up in the grand plan of God. God is calling you into his great project to unify all things in Christ. So don't just look for some job that may pay well but has no real significance attached, says Paul. You want to, in some way, you want to be involved in the grandest plan of all, and that is God's great plan to unify everything in Christ. If your work and your life isn't about that, you're missing out. You're missing an opportunity for deep significance. Second, don't just tune into your passion. Now, you know, commencement speakers for high school and, and college everywhere say, tune into your passion. But it's a, it is as though Paul is saying here, that didn't work out for me. I tuned into my passion. I ended up on the Damascus Road knowing that my life needed utter transformation. And then I lost everything. And when I lost everything because of my commitment to Jesus, that's when true significance began. Don't just tune into your passion. 
listen for God's call. Again, summarizing verses 1 through 6 there and that that sense he gives us. Uh, Another one, again, verses 1 through 6, true success is about all about getting caught up in that that grand uh, plan of Paul as we talked about. Uh, the best opportunities are not earned based on your own merit. We think in the world of resumes and jobs that it's all about you know getting my resume just right to highlight all the accomplishments that I've made and, and everything that I've done and present myself as a, a person of of great wisdom and great skill and wonderful education and experience. But Paul gives some sort of counter-cultural advice here, doesn't he? The best opportunities are not earned on your own merit. They are gifts of God's grace, verses 7 through 8. Again, the scope of God's plan for you is vast, verse 10. He imagines you engaged in cosmic leadership. And you get that. Again, he he wants these believers to live lives of significance. I like this. Next to the last point, don't work for a boss. Join the family business. Work for your father. Verse 14 talks about God as father. And then finally, be sure to choose a powerful mentor, capital M, who will provide you with everything you need. And there's where we come to that prayer request where he prays that all of these grand blessings will be provided by God to these disciples. Choose a mentor, capital M who can provide you with everything you need. So this is great advice from a mentor, lowercase m, uh, about taking up a a better mentor, capital M. He wants to pass us off to the real mentor. He really does. And that's kind of interesting because when you look at verse number 8 in this chapter, Paul says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints. So here he is, we think of him as this, this great Christian and he calls himself less than the least. It seems a little odd. It, it is a little odd, but as you look at this, um, it, throughout the Paul's correspondence, there's a fascinating progression that goes on here, or maybe a regression from one standpoint. Galatians is one of his earliest letters. Some think probably the earliest. He starts out there, Paul, an apostle, appointed by God through Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle. You know, and he certainly was and certainly has a right to lay claim to that, uh, doesn't he? But then later he introduces himself, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, as the least of the apostles and not even worthy to be called an apostle. What's happening to him, Mary? What's happening to him as we move along? Uh, Here in Ephesians we see that he describes himself as the very least of all the saints. Not the officials of the church, but least of the saints. And finally, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, he describes himself as the chief or worst of sinners. And it seems to be that the closer and closer we get to Jesus, the less we will think of ourselves, and the more we will value his grace, his acceptance of us, his love for us, just as we are warts and all. I think that's encouraging. And Hopefully that's encouraging to you as well. If you've ever felt like you fall short just a little bit or like you fall short a whole lot, uh, there's hope for you. Paul recognized that Jesus was his hope as well. 
We're looking forward to seeing you again next week as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians. We're learning some beautiful insights into Paul and more especially into the character of Christ. We look forward to seeing you again next time. God bless you.